Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of The Outer Twilight. Today we're kind of going back to something we did last season that was really enjoyable. Uh, a bit of a palate cleanser from the interviews that were a little more heavy the last two episodes as well. We are going to be uh, writing a story. Uh, it, last season we would take a writing prompt, kind of decide what we were going to do, and then write from there. We're doing it a little bit differently this season, though. What we're going to do... Today is we're going to pick a prompt. We're actually recording this uh, the week prior uh, to when we're releasing the episode. Uh, and we're going to decide now, have a few days between when we actually sit down and talk about the story to kind of create our own ideas and pitches. And then we're going to come back together and record uh, the rest of it to talk about the stories we came up with. So, uh, so we're, Mike, so we're cheating. Just, we're cheating is what you're saying. <laughs> Well, we're, we're kind of cheating. I think it's just when you have two people that it's, it's, uh, it creates a lot of talking over each. Well, it didn't create a lot of talking over. I don't know why we're doing this. I just thought it would be fun to do something different, but um, yeah. Why don't you tell us what we're doing today, Mike, and, and remind everybody uh, how we make this happen. Hey, thanks, Andrew. So what, what I found last year was, or last season was a writing prompt generator. It's uh, servicescape.com. They're a website to connect writers with businesses that are looking for freelancers and stuff like that. And the writing prompt generator has, oh, just lots and lots and lots of writing prompts. And you, under the areas of science fiction, fantasy, and romance, and you, just all kinds of stuff. So what we did last time and what we'll do this time is I have a list made up. And I've got my dice, we'll roll, we'll see what comes up and whatever category it gives us, we'll look at two different prompts that they have and uh, mm -hmm. discuss those a bit. We'll decide on the prompt, we'll decide on the prompt we're going to do, right? And then... We'll, yeah, you bet. We'll, yeah, right on. No romance, no romance, no romance. <laughs> okay, so it's a, I'm rolling a regular six-sided die, one to three is science fiction, Four or a five is fantasy, and a six is romance. <laughs> oh, it's a one. One. So science fiction. Science okay, fiction. cool. Okay. So now there's a lot, lot of categories under science fiction, and we got 23 which means nothing to you, but <laughs> when I look at my so you're list, counting, you're counting down 23, 23 categories. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's got mythic. So oh, mythic science fiction. Yeah. So let's see. Okay. So I guess that would be kind of, so just to let me guess here. So mythic science fiction, are we talking like Arthur C. Clarke? Kind of 2001 would, that to me would be like mythic science fiction. What do you think of when you think of like mythic science fiction? Well, I think of looking at the description that they have here. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> cheater, I'm doing it off the top of my head. So it says a science fiction subgenre that is inspired by or closely imitates myth and folk folklore. Uh, okay. So take that for what it's worth. All right. Mm hmm. Okay. So, and I'm not even going to 
pre-check these ones. I'm just going to go with the first two that they give. And like, all right. So like they gave me, there's 21 that come up under this category. So I'm just going to go roll your D roll your D 20, like do your D 20 twice and then pick the, pick the two numbers. I've I've got two D 20s. So. Okay. Okay. Three and seven. So let's go. All right. Number two, number three. Okay. Ooh. Okay. The doomsday prophecy of Zoroastrian scripture comes true when the Gotchahar comet strikes Earth and eventually causes the surface to be covered in lava. Just before Earth disappears into nothing, some people manage to escape to nearby planets. A millennium later, the descendants of those who escaped observe a new planet appearing near where Earth would have been. You are among the colonists sent to explore and potentially colonize this new world. Oh, I like that one. There's lots of potential there. All right. My first thought is after Earth. Uh, Yeah, which I haven't actually seen. Which I will never see. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, part of what, yeah, the reviews were for it were so, so bad that it's like, well, then it must be pretty bad. (laughs) Maybe it's one of those ones that's so bad you just have to see it with a bunch of people and just mystery science. (sighs) I should see if there's a... I should see if there's a riff tracks for it. Actually, that would be kind of fun. All right. Okay. Number seven. What's the seventh one? The seventh one. As the earth falls to ruin under human population growth, Gaia, mother earth begs, <laughs> get my pronunciation, right? Uranus, father sky for help. <laughs> Please Uranus. <clears throat> anyway. So then Uranus then sends 12 Titans to destroy the human race that they once created. Some members of humanity convince the Titans to spare them in exchange for their helping to restore Gaia. You are one of the descendants of these humans, and you must follow a strict moral and environmental code to maintain the covenant your forefathers made. That story could be called Gaia's not into butt stuff. All right, so those are our prompts. We've got the Zeroastrian catastrophe thing that we got to work with, and then we've got Gaia and Uranus, which I, I'm not going to not say it wrong because it's just <laughs> funny every single time. I'm I'm three years old, but uh, all right. So we're going to go away for a few days, and then we'll come back and let you know what we got. Oh, okay, so we're not we're not going to decide which one of these we want. We're going to kind of come up with a Oh yeah, sorry. Yes, I forgot. You're right. We do have to do that. We have to decide which one we want. I uh, I kind of like the Gaia one better. Where are you on it? Which one do you like? Okay, you like the Gaia one? Yeah. Okay, I just keep thinking of the joke where, you know, a bunch of Klingons circling Uranus. Um <laughs> Uh, I was I was leaning towards the other one. Uh, okay. Oh, I can work with it. Okay. Like I have oh, no. a couple of ideas. Okay. Like, Here, here's what we do. I'll work on them. I'll work on the first one, the Zoroastrian, and I'll do okay. I'll do a pitch for that, and you do a pitch for that one, for the Gaia. Okay. Perfect. And then we'll debate, and then see what happens. That sounds like a good plan. Let's do that. All right. So we are going to take our break here. And we will see you when we come back. Yeah, we'll have a break for our special sponsor commercial. (laughs) (laughs) Now we really are working in fiction, aren't we? All right. 
And we're back. Welcome back, Mike. I know for everybody else, it was instantaneous through the miracle of time travel and recording. But uh, we are back with after a couple of days of pondering on our uh, pitches, our pitch ideas. And so uh, Mike is going to go first. So Mike, maybe give us a brief reminder of what you were doing and of which one you were doing and then take it away. Okay. So a couple of days ago, I thought I thought I was really smart and that, Oh, I'll take, I'll, I'll take the first one because that'll be easy. Um, not so much. So mine was the doomsday prophecy of Zoroastrian scripture and a comet strikes the earth and causes the surface to be covered in lava and people leave. And then a millennium later, the descendants of those who escaped observe a new planet where earth would have been. And your colonists sent to potentially colonize this new world. Um, which is yeah, almost the whole thing. But <laughs> I guess the part where I got hung up with this and, and I think, you know, having to come up, come up with it on the spur of the moment is easier because you don't have time. Oh. You don't have time to think about, is this a good idea or not? Or, or second guess yourself because you just, you just have to do it. Right. And so I'm mean, thinking mm. about this and part where I get, got caught up in, was, you know, that essentially, you know, you're extrapolating a thousand years into the future of these people. Mm. And so, okay, what's their technology like? Where, where did they go? Where did they come from? Uh, where'd you come from? Where'd you go? Um, and, uh, <laughs> theme song by Redneck. And then what, what is earth situation? And so I got stuck there for a bit, but then it, kind of mm. kind of occurred to me that yeah I, I was looking at it from a very general sense like you know okay like the general population and and i thought you know what maybe might be more interesting is that um like okay so for example the, the idea that popped into my head was what if it was like a mormon ship that escaped colonized another world and so a thousand years where everyone was mormon or, you know, a, a particular religion and, mm-hmm. um, and then now they're coming back to, you know, reclaim the earth type of thing. So then it kind of, it flavors. Mm. So you're not looking at, okay, how would the human race progress, but how would a very specific special interest group progress over that thousand years? Mm. Um, and mm-hmm. where, and then, you know, that they got away, but they didn't have a ton of time because, you know, comet, you know, maybe they have a year or two and it strikes and then they have a little bit of time to get off the earth. So they wouldn't have a ton of time to, you know, save everything. It would be basically enough to get people off planet onto another planet and they'd be, you know, starting over from scratch. So it might not be all that far technologically advanced because they would have, no, they'd also be limited in the resources and <laughs> whatever planet they go to. So, so I just thought of it, you know, like maybe I would go with, uh, you know, and Mormon was the one I kept coming with just because, you know, with the Mormons, you know, they put stuff away and, you know, they tithing is really important. And, and the Mormon church in general, at least in, in North America, you know, they have reserves of food. They have, reserves for stuff. So it would make sense from a story perspective that they would be somewhat prepared for 
something like this. Right. And it's okay. So move them forward a thousand years. And so you'd, you'd have to look into, you know, the main tenets of how that would look where everyone was at certain religion. And so then it would be coming back. The thought that popped into my head, the thought that popped into my head was Amish, but I don't know that they build a great rock. <laughs> yes. <honest>. But, but, <laughs> but so, I, but I like where you're going. So yeah, continue. So, yeah then they, then they come back to earth and, um, you know, and I, I guess the part that, and the other part that I got kind of caught up in was that where the earth would have been, well, it was covered in lava, but it doesn't say like just before the earth disappears into nothing, you know, okay, did it disappear mm. into nothing or did it maybe just appear as though it did? Um, and, you know, maybe they come back and it's like, you know, a thousand years isn't a long time from a geological perspective, but maybe you know, things progressed a lot quicker or even, you know, someone else got there first and, you know, seeded the place or, you know, some sort of mm -hmm. mystery. But I, I would have to make it something that would be very in opposition to how the Mormon colony uh, progressed over that thousand years so that, um you know, and I'm, of course, I'm ignoring the whole Zoroastrian aspect of it. You know, it's just, it's a doomsday thing. Comet comes, it crushes the earth type thing. But, um, you know, what if, well, you know, the Zoroastrian does talk about how, you know, the, the lava will burn away the sins of those who are impure and um, all this kind of stuff. I, I looked at it very briefly, but, um, mm. you know, so maybe... I mean, you know, I guess you go with maybe the Zoroastrians were really, really right. And that there are people actually still left behind, but, um, that mm. they found a way to, you know, do something. So that's as far as I really got with it, that, you know, that focusing mm. on the group that did leave, how they would progress and then them coming back and finding not what they would expected and how, maybe in, and in complete opposition to what their beliefs or what their <laughs> ideals are, you know, cause they're being sent to colonize a place that, you know, they're not meant to colonize. I don't know. That's as far as I got. Thematically, thematically, I kind of like the idea that there's almost like a double whammy there where you have a special interest group that kind of is prepared to leave. And so they do, it turns out they were right essentially. And then they leave, but then when they come back or when their uh, descendants come back, you know, a thousand years later, then there's the whammy of like, this isn't what we were expecting though. Like we, we, we were right about the leaving, but we weren't right about the coming back is, is kind of an interesting um, idea that's there. I think that you have, and the idea too, that it would sort of be a culturally unique group of people, um, not necessarily based around something like ethnicity or something like that, but more uh, religious interest or things like that would, make it for you know you can have a diverse group of people but within a particular belief system um so i i think that's kind of interesting as well um yeah so those are the I those think, are the yeah, areas that's yeah. the direction i would go to explore that idea yeah. more fully but yeah so like so you actually I, I was wondering i guess when with this writing prompt i was wondering whether the person who wrote the writing prompt actually looked at zoroastrian scripture and you know or was just kind of looking for it was sort of a word in their vocabulary and they just threw it in as one of the <laughs> as one of the ideas for the prompt. well i i did look it up um, and yeah it it yeah, does yeah, talk about the that. comet 
and that strikes the earth okay. and that, yeah, burns away the sins and lava. And, um, so yeah, they kept with that, yeah. at least that much of it. So, huh? Yeah. It's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting concept. I, yeah. The whole idea of it being where earth would have been is a bit of an odd wording. I would agree with what you were saying. Like, it's kind of like, but it didn't say that the earth got destroyed. It said that it burned away and got covered in lava and can see that like lava is really good fertile ground. Like, so there could be a lot of plant life and things that would survive that could I guess the back. thought that just popped into my head was like, okay, what if it was a special interest group that was prepared and they leave early when, you know, volcanoes start erupting and whatnot, expecting, mm-hmm. okay, oh, the Zoroastrians right. were right. And so this is what's going to happen. And the earth is going to be completely destroyed and disappear. And they leave and then they lose, you know, they don't have the type of equipment that allows them to see earth anymore. And so to all intents and purposes, it's gone, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't get quite as destroyed as they think. So they're coming back expecting, right, you know, okay. expecting, you know, uh, oh, hey, it's still you here. know, a Garden yeah. of Eden kind of thing, growing in all the fertile land, and and really, you know, a different type of group, you know, took control or something, and and the world is completely different. I like the idea of yeah, of like a third a third party sort of claiming an un, you know, oh, there's nobody else here, you know, I claim this in the name of whoever, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's nobody else here anymore. So, um, cool, I. Uh, yeah, I actually found it's funny. I think it's a lot about writing is sort of the way my, our minds work too, right? And you know, where uh, we both have different creative processes. So for me, I found having a little bit of extra time to ponder my idea meant I was able to flesh things out than I've pre- more than I've previously been able to with uh, the other writing prompts we had. Right. So like, um, so mine just to remind everybody is. Uh, you know, the earth falls to ruin, uh, basically under overpopulation. And so then there's the idea that the earth, it, Gaia, um, asks Uranus, and I'm going to be careful to keep this, uh, you know, mature, uh, it sends Titans to destroy the human race. And then they actually end up working out a deal to try and restore it. And then, um, the last part is kind of what I ended up taking kind of loosely you are one of the descendants of these humans and you have to follow strict moral and environmental code to maintain the covenant that your forefathers made so when i was reading this what actually i thought would be kind of cool is the idea that you know how the the essentially the planets got their names from roman gods right because that's it's the greek gods were named differently and so in this case it's roman gods and what if the (laughs) it was that they actually it was the other way around that the planets were sentient, are gods, and all of the myths that we have on Earth of the gods doing these things, you know, doing this and that. For example, um, in Greek mythology, and I think it's similar in Roman mythology, uh, Helios is the god of the sun, and he carries the sun across the sky every every day, right? And so there's actually some interesting, easy parallels there with you know, from a human perspective, looking up into the sky, you have the sun, at, at least by our perception, progressing across the sky, but it's actually Gaia is turning, but Helios is actually the sun and is, you know, sentient, I guess. But it, the, the, the basic idea, though, is that Gaia, um, 
Earth, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, all of the planets are actually like a pantheon. They are able to communicate with each other across space. So, you know, you can call it telepathy, call it whatever you want. Um, so therefore, when Uranus sends um, sends these titans to Earth, he's doing so at the behest of his uh, fellow god, essentially, um, who, you know, from their perspective, she's essentially got a parasite, right? Um, the, the humans at first were beneficial, but have now gotten to the points where they've infested. So the titans are sent to cleanse Gaia at her behest. So then that got me thinking about a notion of then what role would the other planets play in terms of both their name, but also their, uh, their actual makeup and structure. So for example, you would have Mars who would be jealous of Gaia because Mars is the God of war in Roman mythology, but he's also a desolate planet that has limited life. And in the sense that, and in the way I was going to go with it is that the life is like uh sili- silicon based essentially where it's, it's like rock beings. And so, you know, Mars sees an opportunity for a more lush place for some of his people to live and to expand and to essentially try to lure Gaia to his way of seeing things and then creating essentially, you know, how would then Mercury, Venus, you know, et cetera, et cetera. What, you know, what would, how would they play off of each other would be uh, one part of the narrative. And then the other part of the narrative is the human perspective on what's happening. And so that's where the, the perspective of essentially, you know, this speck of life living on one of these gods who has no idea what is really going on other than what the Titans have let them know is dealing with the reality of essentially living in slavery, right? If you have to live under a strict moral and environmental code under pain of death, they're essentially slaves now to, to Gaia. Their freedom has been greatly restricted. Um, And so then is what they are doing, working alongside the Titans, beneficial to them? Is it not beneficial to them? Looking at how do they then, you know, sort of how do you, how would humans overcome this massive pantheon that they can't perceive? How do they find freedom in such a restrictive environment? It was kind of where I went with it. Um, yeah. So in terms of restoring Gaia, it's sort of a bit relative as to what that means. What does it mean to be, does that mean you kill off a certain number of, of humans? Does that, you know, you reduce the population, you have sort of a, a mass hunger game, so to speak. Um, so that, you know, you're, you're limited down. Uh, what purpose do the humans serve? If, all they've done is destroy Gaia. You know, there's a lot of questions I think that could be answered there, but I like the idea of a split narrative that on one side of it, the planets, the Pantheon is so big that they don't really perceive or really care about the humans 
really very similar to the way that the Greek and Roman pantheons didn't, you know, they sort of, the humans were, were there, right. But they weren't really like, they were kind of a nuisance more than anything a lot of the times. And then having the other side of the narrative being this sort of really puny, tiny uh, perspective that really is not grasping <laughs> how big this whole thing really is. Right. I don't know. Well, that, yeah, then, that, then that's kind of where I went with it. Yeah. yeah. And then you can play with yeah. the themes of how, you know, the things that we think are so incredibly important in not just our lives, but like as a human race, that in the grand mm. cosmic scheme of things are rather inconsequential. Right. But I think to tie them together. So the thought that I had, like, as you're talking about that is, you know, as the humans becoming more, you know, or at least some human becoming aware of Gaia itself and that there is that more, mm -hmm. but also like, I, like I would wonder, like, as you were talking, I was thinking maybe the difference was, is that Gaia, she wanted the humans and that's why the humans are there. And the other, right. the other gods had no use for it. And, you know, they're barren, they're, um, but there obviously there has to be other things that allow them to exist. And that's a good thought, actually. The idea that the other gods are kind of indifferent because they don't see the purpose of life because they have none. Yeah. And so they think that but, she should just, well, destroy all of them and then she'll be healthy. But like, she's almost like she loves them so much you know, that she's willing to die for them. So then when the humans find that, find out that the earth is actually a living thing and that she's willing to die for their sake, that that can bring about a re reawake, an awakening within the humans. They realize that, okay, somebody's willing to do that. Okay. What are we willing to do? And, um, right. You know, and then you can play with that parallel, um, and tie those parallels together type thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think too, that like the tight, the whole, there is opportunities there, for example, in what the Titans at themselves actually are. Yeah. Um, because I mean, it's a term that's used in mythology, but it's not in this particular description. It doesn't really say what the purpose of the Titans are, what their, what their intentions are. Are they sentient? So there's a lot of things from a storytelling perspective that we could play with there. Um, I mean, obviously there is an indication that the human humanity makes a deal or convinces the Titans. So there's obviously some sort of sentience there, but are they merely foot soldiers for Uranus? Are they, you know, what, um, you know, there, there's a lot of ways they could be utilized from a storytelling perspective to, you know, be even a bridge between, you know, as, as the humans become aware of Gaia, then the humans communicate with the Titans and the Titans go, well, yeah, it's not just her. There's actually, you know, and sort of the Titans can reveal the bigger picture. So, um, and then having seen what the humans have, the Titans actually end up, it almost flips it the other way. <laughs> so the Titans are going, Hey, wait a minute. Well, yeah. What, like, know, what if, okay, like so this. like earth has earthling, what if, what if the Titans are from Mars and it's Mars who really is pushing for, um, Mm. for Gaia to, oh, like to destroy. Yeah. And so to just have the people serve, like the Titans serve Mars. And so Mars, you know, against Gaia's wishes, sends the Titans to earth and the Titans are causing a lot of damage. And Gaia has to find a way to let the humans know that what she is 
And, but as the, you know, mm-hmm. and then you can have that, you know, as the Titans actually start to see, um, what more there can be, you know, and that there can be a different type of relationship with their, their God and the humans can realize, okay, well, what they're doing is pushing Gaia to what, you know, that, you know, Mars did have life and the Titans were all that were left and they were left with nothing. Mm. And, you know, and there, and, you know, so there can be, like you said, like the, the Titans like that. And so then they, you know, they would maybe join together with the humans to convince Mars to not be a jerk. Well, what I just, what I just thought of is that there's a lot of cool themes that can be played with, right? Because in a lot of ways, Gaia represents life, Mars, God of war, whatever, um, represents death. And you can either, you know, you can spread death with just finite, right? So you could wipe life off of the face of Gaia, which would essentially make her, like Mars, or the the fact is is that life is all is infinite, right? You can always have more life. You can give more life. And so rather than, you know, to so basically to try and convince Mars that rather than destroying life, that we are willing to give you life. We are actually willing to bring back what you once had. So rather than having two dead worlds, you have the potential of two living ones and turning mars from you know sort of the quote-unquote villain into uh sort of the one needing saving the actual one who is lost the actual one who is is you know sort of forgotten what it's like to appreciate life appreciate thought appreciate uh creativity and consciousness well, yeah, and, and you can finish off with that, you know, and the best way to alleviate some of the overpopulation on Earth is send some of the Earthlings to Mars to, right. to rebuild yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. So and then, so then the, the key part of the story would then be turning Mars' perspective from sort of antagonistic to, you know, to more accepting and to being more willing to have more life. And, uh, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of potential there. We should, work we, we should write this book <laughs> <laughs> at the same time. the more I think about it, I'm like, I don't know. That's a lot of work, but I mean, all writing is a lot of work, but that's a lot of work. Yeah. There's a lot of big themes and, and, that and a lot of, yeah, a lot of literal world building involved, you know, defining what the gods actually are, what they can and can't do. And, you know, well, the history of the cosmos and yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of footwork that would need to be done. Um, but there's a lot of potential there. So, so yeah, when I look at our two ideas and stuff like that, I think, um, I think the, the direction that you went with your prompt, uh, I see the, uh, the prompt to you that, uh, that, that <laughs> it gets my imagination going. Are we a lot being more. competitive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah well like i think we've talked about before that some of these prompts are almost so specific it's like i don't know that's a lot of like like i sort of have to do someone else's legwork you know what i mean like the the, the whole zeroastrian thing for example it's like i could have picked something else like if you'd given me a more sort of loose uh structure i could have probably i might have gone a different direction right and so it's a little weird because it's almost like writing someone else's story in a way, right? Okay, so that was our 
writing prompts for uh, this time. Uh, hopefully <laughs> you enjoyed that. It's definitely a challenge. I think, you know, Mike, what you were saying about, you know, I think some of them are good if you just did them off the cuff. Some of them, I think, lend themselves better to having a few days to think. So maybe we'll just need to kind of keep changing things up to see how they go. Well, you know, it makes me think of the, you know, sometimes you can have a really good idea and then something changes and, you know, and you have to be able to, to roll with that and and not go with your original vision, you know, so, you know, you got to have an idea what a good story is, but you know, that, that part of the, the interesting thing is, you know, when you start bouncing the ideas back and forth, you know, I could be thinking in a certain way, you suggest something. Okay. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. And, um, you know, so like a version of that is like when we look at Black Panther to Wakanda Forever, where, you know, Ryan mm-hmm. Coogler, 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 and Marvel, Coogler. you know, probably had a vision after the first Black Panther of what, where they were going to go with that. But then with, you mm-hmm. know, Chadwick Boseman's death, it changed everything, you know, and then they, they right. had to not, not just change what the story is significantly but what what they're trying to say what are what are the themes what are the the emotions that go with it because there's a lot of emotion is it right to even go on so (laughs) so mike and i both saw black panther over the weekend we actually went we're in two different places uh in alberta but we ended up seeing it at the exact same time in two different theaters uh but uh saw it over the weekend um I well, I, I'll give my nutshell review, Mike, and then you can give your nutshell review. You know, just brief points. Um, I, overall, I really liked it. I would say it was the best movie of Phase Four. That said, um, there was some really big issues with the visual effects in certain points to the point where it like almost pulled me right out of the movie. Um, but. And, and there was also, Mike and I are, uh, were, we talked about this, Mike, uh, after we saw it, that Shuri seemed a little bit difficult to kind of buy her. Oh, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> it seemed a little difficult to buy her as Black Panther. And for me, I think what it came down to more than anything is just her physical size. Um, she's quite a, t- a tiny person. Um, and that's very apparent when you see her next to the rest of the cast. And so seeing her in fights, um, particularly in her fight with Namor, which they did make an effort to make more uh, strategic uh, rather than just brute force, still kind of pushed the boundaries of believability a little bit, regardless of how she got her powers. She's still only a certain amount of mass. Um, And I know that we could get into a lot of issues with trying to debate over that, but other than that, though, like I, I thought the the entire uh, Tullokan storyline, which is Namor and his people, uh, which was basically written entirely for this film and not present in the MCU, largely to differentiate from the DC universe and its Atlantis. Um, I liked Tullokan uh, as an idea. I liked the idea of Namor as of Mesoamerican descent. Uh, I liked the origin and the way that they went with that, uh, with the origin of that group of that people group. Um, and I liked that it essentially was a movie about international conflict that was between two fictional nations, which was really to me kind of cool. Um, 
to have these two, you know, the United States was, wasn't sidelined, but was sort of left out. And so really the movie was very self-contained. Um, and so the political intrigue and stuff like that in a fictional setting, I thought was really awesome. Um, so overall, I really liked it other than some, I would say annoying issues. Um, I feel like it was good and it was a good tribute to Chadwick Boseman as well. What about you, Mike? Well, I agree. Like with the, I've been thinking about the Shuri thing a bit and I think what they could have done that would have made a big difference was like really all they did was after she had the, the heart shaped herb or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. they showed one thing that, okay, so she's a lot stronger and then they just plowed Mm. ahead there wasn't, um, yes. there wasn't more showing the change and the difference that having that heart-shaped herb made to her. And so then mm-hmm. when she's fighting Namor and stuff, it's like, okay, well, it's, it's a fighting style that she's never used before. That's, you know, indicative of the Black Panther and how she was using it and, um, you know, and has a lot more strength and can take shots from him. Um, you know, and part of that is the suit, which, uh, you know, they had established in previous movies that, you know, absorbs a lot of the, the hits and stuff like that. But I think if they'd even done just a little bit more to show, uh, the physical change for her that, you know, that it, it's, mm-hmm. a, a basically it's a supernatural augmentation of her strength and stuff like, and reflexes and, and like it's, it's there in previous movies that this is kind of what it does but I think they needed to establish it more for her so that when she does put on the suit and she does have this battle against somebody who's had their powers for 500 years and is, right. is very accomplished <laughs> in what he does, um, that it is a bit more believable. Cause like, I, right. And it, yeah, I mentioned that to you too. Like in the first Black Panther, they make a fairly big deal out of the fact that for T'Challa to take the throne, he has to beat on all, he has to beat all comers, right? And he has to do it without the heart-shaped herb. So he has to be an established warrior. He has to be good at martial arts. Well, like good at at their version of martial arts and and uh, at Wakanda's version of martial arts. And then in this one, not only is Shuri, as far as we know, as far as we've seen, Shuri's kind of a big nerd, right? Like she's technology, which nothing wrong with that. It's just, she's more intellectually focused and, and is focused on creating technology. So she's had no sort of combat training that we're aware of. And then that that's also to me, it felt a little bit undermined when Mbaku sort of just goes, okay, so she's going to be black Panther and now I'm going to be king. So who's going to try and fight me? Right. They, they split that. And so she doesn't ever have to fight either to prove that she's worthy of being the Black Panther as she, as they did in the first one. But, you know, I didn't have a problem with that because they were kind of just establishing that they, they are two different things right now. And, and, and yeah. I suppose that provides some opportunity in the future for there to be some friction there that. You know, mm-hmm. is the king the protector, but the Black Panther, Panther is the is the protector, but is he, you know, the leader and or she is the leader. Um, you know, it provides potential for I didn't have a problem with that. And I think even with, you know, with with her fighting style, she uses still the same kind of gauntlet stuff when she first starts fighting that she used 
Mm, um, yes, that's true. Until yeah, yeah. it didn't work anymore. And then, and then, you know, she fought toe to toe with Namor who was weakened because of, you know, she had dehydrated him and stuff like that. But, um, mm-hmm. it just, the way that it happened so quickly, it just, it felt, eh. and, and the special effects at times made her look even skinnier than she is and less powerful by extension. So, um, so, but overall, like, like I, I thought it was overall a well-made movie. I really liked the, the Talokan, 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 uh, Namor history because it not only is it different from MCU, I think what you're meaning to say more was that it's different, very different than the Marvel, uh, comic origin for him. And, um, and so there's a, it was a complete departure from that and a, and a good one. I think it, uh, mm-hmm. both from a in world perspective, but also from, um, you know, providing like the first black Panther provided an opportunity for, um, you know, a cultural group to see themselves represented well in, um, mm-hmm. in, in this type of movie. And, you know, for the Latinx people to see, you know, the, the roots of their culture being represented, you know, um, on screen, you know, in a powerful way, um, you know, like I've seen some, some writing out there, how, you know, that Namor and the actors that, that are playing the parts, you know, can play a, a key role in allowing another cultural group to feel included and to have, um, a role within it. And, and so from that perspective, I, I, like, I think it's wonderful and, and I, I love Mesoamerican culture and I love reading about mm-hmm. it. And so seeing the way that they integrated that was, was really good. It also, it helped to better justify why Namor's doing what he's doing where in the comic mm-hmm. book it was as much because he was just an arrogant self-righteous <laughs> um yeah he's not overly he's not overly three-dimensional and i actually thought this movie did a really good job in the sense that namor is the antagonist of the film but is not himself ever he doesn't ever come across as evil he comes across mm-hmm. as principled in a very specific way um which i think is interesting when you're dealing with sovereign nations right when you have rulers of sovereign nations who are saying you know (laughs) you may not have known we were there but you did still threaten us and so our we have left you alone you did not leave us alone and so my you have forced my hand my only choice is to behave this way i thought was you know they really did a good job of pulling it away from arrogance and making his actions really understandable he's definitely more uh, he would be more aggressive in his tactics, I would say, than, you know, he's not very much of a diplomat at this point, no, right? Because no. for one thing, too, he's been living underwater with his nation. They're on their own. He hasn't had to deal with other nations. So there's kind of that, that you know, we don't know you, you don't know us. So I'm not taking any chances is kind of his attitude. I did think what was cool about that, too, is that it left, if they do decide to go the whole, like, I I have no doubt that once Fantastic Four comes along, that they will at least acknowledge that Namor has a thing for Sue. Um, 
And this actually kind of made that doable in a very understandable way, where you have a group of people, you have Namor, who has not been around human beings, like at all for hundreds of, you know, for quite a long time, or at least very sporadically, so that when he is interacting with human beings, er, with uh, other humans again, you know, it's like, there's going to be a bit of social awkwardness just because he's so used to his own cultural tenets that, you know, it, it's sort of more of a, and, and he has that sort of attitude of uh, I'm in charge and, yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't make him a bad guy. It's just who he is as a leader and who he is as a person. So I thought that was really good. So uh, overall, would you recommend it? Yeah, I, 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 I would recommend it. And it's, it handled the idea of grief um, again, which is kind of has been the theme of phase four in the MCU is different ways of handling yeah. the post blip grief and in different ways and different circumstances. Um, it, it does that well and very sensitively. Um, and for me, one of the more powerful moments of the film was when the Marvel, um, what do you call it? Usually the Marvel fanfare where they have Marvel studios at the beginning. Um, and it's always like little pictures and images of all the different movies and different characters. And it was all Chadwick and it was silent. Then it wasn't about Marvel anymore. And it wasn't about, it was about paying respect to him. And I just thought that was really well done and it set the tone for, for the film. A um, couple of uh, just quick things before we close. First thing is, is that Mar Black Panther is very self-contained. Um, so if you are going in, I know we've given away some spoiler stuff here, but if you're going in expecting some of that more sort of phase one through three, uh, you know, teasers for what's to come, there really isn't a lot of that at all. Um, there may be some of the stuff that happens in the United States. You could maybe make a bit of an argument for that. Um, and then Ironheart, who is a character in it, but I felt, I don't know, she's there and it's okay. I hated the character design, but you know, it, it, she was there and it is, I know she's getting her own Marvel series and everything like that, but I actually did think she was fairly organic to the story, which was great. Um, for once, um, but, but, but at the same time, you, kind of, you could pull her out yeah. and it's still the same story. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, if you're expecting kind of big reveals in this, you're not going to get any big reveals. And I guess, you know, that's something I think that us as fans from phase one to three who are used to that, you know, holy crap, they just introduced so-and-so. I think we need to really get used to that, that that's not like kind of the way things are going anymore. Um, you know, unless they start doing them again. But uh, with this one, it was very much a self-contained film for obvious reasons with Chadwick Boseman. So anyways, that's our thoughts on uh, uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and uh, our presentation of our uh, story prompts for today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us. Mike, do you have anything to say before we close today? No, it's just, it's good to throw some ideas around without the expectation that I have to actually write it. So uh. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. All right. Thanks everybody. Please feel free to like and subscribe and all that stuff. Thanks for joining us today.